Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. It is my privilege to welcome our friend Priscilla Reed, uh, who's going to teach the Bible this morning. Would you welcome Priscilla as she comes? Paul and Priscilla have been friends for, for a long time. Uh, we met them, first of all, when actually we were living in California, which is always funny, you go to the other side of the world to meet people that live just down the road, but uh, it is a real privilege for us to have you with us today. Um, I'm going to pray for you. Slide that up or you'll be muted, that one there. And will you join me as we pray for Priscilla as she opens God's word to us? Father, we thank you so much for Priscilla, for the way she's invested her life in this land and in your kingdom. And we simply pray, come Holy Spirit, speak to us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks so much, Andy. You will hear that I am incredibly croaky, so your job is to pray, well, unless I'm really, really boring, and then you can stop praying and the voice will give out. So um, your job is to pray that it will last for uh, the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Do you know, it's wonderful to be with you. So exciting. Um, I was just saying, walking in this morning, you're at nine o'clock, and it's just a privilege to come and be with a group of people. You know, the, the, the place was buzzing. There were people setting up all over the place. And to have to be with a group of people who are committed to serve you and, and, and as you as a community are wanting to serve the community that God has placed you in and to see how the church is flourishing and growing, it, it is such an encouragement to my heart. Um, and we know that we need one another if we're going to flourish. Actually, I had the experience of that this morning because Paul, my husband, is in France this weekend. And so I woke up totally unaware that this is how my voice sounded like because I had nobody to bounce it off. So it was only when I did put on a... Um, a I'd spoke to Alexa and she began to sing to me and uh, I tried to join in and realized, oh my goodness, where's my voice gone? So I'm hoping that it will last. But recently I read a verse in, in the Psalms and it just really encouraged me. It said, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. This is the bit that I liked. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. And I want to talk to you for this short time about how we can flourish where God has planted us. And there's something about being planted. I know in a room this size, there'll be some of you who are visiting this morning, and Andy has already made you so welcome, and you are. But you know, God really wants us to be planted somewhere because that's where we're going to flourish because we are called to be contributors and not just spectators. And so it's really important to find a community that you can be planted in and that then you can contribute to and you can begin to flourish. And when we read the New Testament, as Paul writes to the various churches, 
He is constantly talking to them about what a church community, what a church family looks like. And it's emphasized in the New Testament over and over again that it's not just dependent on us as individuals. It's, just, it's not just me and Jesus making it through. God knew that we needed each other to flourish. And the exciting thing, I think, is that we all get to play a part. We get up to play a part in shaping the culture of the community that we're part of. It, it probably doesn't happen in Lagan Valley Vineyard, but in Belfast, now and again, you would have heard someone say, this church isn't loving enough. This church isn't generous enough. There's not enough faith in this church. Well, my response to that is, well, what are you doing about it? Because the church isn't some disembodied thing floating around in space. It's us. So we get to contribute. We get to decide what the culture is going to be. I'm struck too that when Jesus, you know, was here on earth and he went to his own hometown, and it says he couldn't do, I love it actually, it says he couldn't do many miracles there. Um, because it, it, the, he came across a spirit of unbelief. And so even Jesus was contained in what he could do because of that unbelief. And you and I get to be part of creating an atmosphere of faith, creating an atmosphere of expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to move and touch lives and change lives and touch hearts. Look what God has built amongst you in the last 10 years. What he has built as you have planted yourself here. And you even as Andy was talking about the next 10 years, I just, it just struck me, like you only have to look around. You have filled this field. You have planted and you have filled this field. So I feel like for your next 10 years, the Lord's word to you is what he, what he said to Jeremiah, go buy a field, go buy a field. And it won't be one field, it'll be several fields because you have raised up young people, young men and young women in this church who need to be released to go and plant those fields and walk in, you're walking in your inheritance God's called you to raise up another generation who will walk in their inheritance, but you need to buy them some fields so that they can go and do that. And I feel like that's what you're going to see over this next 10 years because there's not enough room and you need to go buy field. And as you do that and you plant again, so you will flourish. But as I said, Paul writes to so many of the churches in the New Testament and I want to read to you what he wrote to the church in Philippi. We're going to read um, Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And this is what he says to them. This is about what a church family should look like, what a community should look like. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit 
and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul is writing to them and saying, this is what I desire for your church family, for your church community. It's about, of course we want to be relevant to the culture around us. We do. But you know, there's an element that as we are part of the kingdom of God, that our values are going to reflect something that's very different to the kingdoms of this world. So while we want to be relevant, we are also called to be countercultural. And I think that's what Paul was writing to them about here. This is how I want you to live out in terms of your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with each other. I want you to be people who serve one another, who develop servant hearts, who think well of one another, in fact, who value others even above yourself. And he says, when we develop that kind of servant heart, then that reflects the values of the kingdom of God. It's a very different mindset, perhaps, to something that we encounter in our daily lives. And verse four, I think, is particularly important. I honestly think this is the crucial relational mark of a church culture, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And if we do that, we will see people not only coming to know Jesus, but growing and developing as disciples of Jesus Christ. And Paul also says to them, now, think about your motivation for doing this. Why would you want to develop a servant heart? Why would you want to value others above yourself? And he basically says to them, listen, think of what Jesus has done for you. You have been blessed to be a blessing. He has poured into you so much. And now your motivation for serving others has got to be because he did that for you, that you will pour out and you will serve others. And at the beginning of that passage, he, he sort of makes four almost like rhetorical statements. It's almost as if he's saying, well, if water's wet, if a rock's hard, if fire's hot, then. So what he's saying is, all of these things that I've listed, of course you've experienced this in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You have experienced encouragement. You have experienced what it's like to be united in Christ. You have known the comfort of his love. You have shared in the life of the Holy Spirit. 
you've experienced these things. And you, even as I'm saying that, this is what happens when we, get, when we come to know Jesus. We get to experience the comfort of his love. Sometimes when I'm talking, uh, I just feel like somehow the Holy Spirit highlights some people to me and that he wants to give them a personal word of encouragement. And there's a girl sitting and you have a stripy cardigan on with red stripes in it. And just as I said the comfort of his love, my eyes fell on you. And while Paul is talking here about if you've received that, you want to give it away. I just feel like the Lord is saying, I am wrapping you up in a warm blanket of the comfort of my love. I know that he, that he, he just wants to move into your life and let you experience this at the deepest level, that sense of comfort, that he knows you, that he knows what's going on with you at the minute. He knows the things that you're struggling with and that there is an area that you need his comfort. You know, I think sometimes you feel like he is maybe on your tail asking you to do better. But actually what he is, he's saying, I want you to rest in the comfort of my love. And that the more that you experience that, then you in turn are going to be a comforter. That comfort that you receive, you're going to let that flow out of you, through you, and be a comfort to others. And that's true for all of us. When we receive from the Lord, then he wants that to be not just that we hold it, but that it passes through us and we bless others. John Wimber, um, who was the founder of Vineyard Movement, came to our church in CFC very early on when we were newly planted and had a profound impact on our church. He sowed into us so that he, what he sowed in is still part of our DNA today, which is why I think I feel so at home with you guys as well. And his message to us was, Freely you've received, freely give. And that's what he modeled out to us. And so as you have freely received, let that be your motivation to freely give. And it's interesting, the second motivation that Paul refers to is, he says, do you know what would make me happy if you lived like this? He says, make my joy complete. And if you're in a church community, there will be people here who lead in various ways. And there is nothing that fuels those who are called to lead more when they see the community that they are part of flourishing and that they are fulfilling this call of God on their lives. Make their joy complete as you live like this and as you build this community. I mean, I'm a mom of four girls. We actually just had a week in Donegal, so we'd my four girls, my four sons-in-law, and my 12 grandchildren. And it's lovely to see the twins here this morning. We got our twins this time last year, and so they're nearly a year now. And so there we were, and we always say, we can just about manage a week together and still say goodbye, knowing that we love each other. Because <laughs> if it went on any longer, there might be a few fireworks. But as a mom and a grandmother, there's nothing that fills your heart with greater joy than when you see your kids getting on. And that's what Paul's saying. 
He said, I'm a father to this church. When I see you behaving like this towards one another, it fills my heart with joy. And Paul didn't just tell them to do it. He lived it out himself. He was that servant-hearted leader who loved the people of God. And so how do we do this? How do we develop this servant heart, this servant culture? How do we enable one another to flourish where God has planted us? And I just want to highlight the things that Paul actually highlights himself. He says the first thing is you need to be united. You need to value unity. He says be like-minded, the same love, one in spirit, one in mind. And if that's true, you will develop unity in the church, which is the most powerful force. Just as this unity is a poisonous, cancerous force, so unity um, is, is so productive. Hebrews tells us, <coughs> let no bitter root grow up to cause trouble and defile many. You're not praying hard enough. (laughs) (coughs) Jesus understood the power of unity. He prayed for us. (coughs) He prayed for the disciples. And he prayed for us. That he said, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And when we talk about, do you know something? I have a magic pocket, and uh, I've, some kind person gave me lockets this morning, and so I'm going to do what my granny told me never to do. <laughs> I'm going to eat a sweet and talk at the same time, <coughs> <coughs> and you're going to have to put up with it. Just to reassure you, my, my voice actually isn't sore, it's just gone. Paul would be delighted if he was home, but he's, <laughs> he's not at home to enjoy it. <laughs> so when we talk about unity, we're talking about a hard attitude. We're never going to agree about everything. We're going to have differences of opinion. But as the people of God, <coughs> we need to learn to disagree agreeably. And we need to be able to express those differences of opinion because actually it would be a very unhealthy church culture if you couldn't express your differences of opinion or if you couldn't bring up any problems or difficulties. That would not be healthy. But you see, it's not about always, you know, God's not expecting us to be clones. He wants us to be who we are. He wants us to have our opinions. That's what's so delightful about community. That's where iron sharpens iron and you grow. But this unity is a heart and mind attitude. I mean, over the years, I've had the privilege of meeting with so many groups of Christians from so many different backgrounds and denominations. Did we agree about everything? Absolutely not. But could could we be one in mind and spirit? Absolutely. And that's what Paul's talking about. And then he goes on and he says, refuse pride and selfish ambition. If we 
are proud, then what happens is we develop a critical spirit. Well, I could do it better than him. I could do it better than her. And Paul says, refuse pride. Proverbs says, arrogance leads to nothing but strife. And then selfish ambition. If you're alive and you're breathing, (coughs) then God has gifted you. He has made you with your personality, with your abilities. And then on top of that, when you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit releases the gifts of the Spirit to you as well. And there's not one person in this room who can say, I'm not gifted, I'm not talented. Each one of you is gifted by God. But in our world today, you know, we have to say, what what are we using these talents for? What are we using our God-given abilities for? I think there's a fierce competition on for our talents today. And for those of you who are younger in the room particularly, that there's huge competition on for your talents, for your gifts. And God's word to you today is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That if you acknowledge, Lord, these talents and gifts were given to me by you, and now I'm giving them back to you, and I'm going to serve you wherever you take me. You know, this isn't just about serve. Oh my goodness, hope that's not my phone. Um, This isn't just about serving in the church, which we want to do, but this is serving wherever God places you, um, in your workplace, wherever God has you, then God says, I think it is my phone. (laughs) If it's Paul, tell him I'll speak to him later. I mean, it's true for all of us, and I want all of us to to think again about just, Lord, I'm never going to be the loser if I serve you. Guys, you're never going to be the loser if you put Jesus first in your life. Never. Give him your talents. Because there is sort of a call to stardom in our day. And God says, just serve me faithfully and see what I will do. See what I'll do in your life. And then... Paul says, embrace humility. T.S. Eliot said this, and I think a lot of people today would argue with him, but this is what he said. Humility is the most difficult of all virtues to achieve. Nothing dies harder than the desire to think well of oneself. And I don't think our culture was very different to Paul's culture because the ancient Greeks saw humility as a fault and not a virtue. And today, of course, we're encouraged. Sell yourself, promote yourself. That's the culture of our day. And Paul's saying, I want you to embrace humility. I'm throwing this out because this is, I'm not going to express this very well because I'm thinking about this at the minute, okay? And in our world, but also in what I'm reading that, you know, on social media and, and what Christians are saying as well. I'm struggling a little bit with the, the constant uh, line, you know, about our self-worth. And I, 
I'm questioning at the minute. I, I feel like we're making <coughs> self-worth almost like a god. That, um, that it is the core of a healthy human personality. And I just think we need to revisit it. And actually, it's something you could talk about round the table um, when your tribes meet. Because I think it's worth teasing out a little bit. I think we need to step back and see that our worth and value is firmly rooted in what God thinks about us. It's not about us trying to work up a sense of our own worth and value or thinking that we're the bee's knees or whatever. It's taking a step back and saying, Lord, you love me enough to send Jesus to die for me. That's my worth and value. And that doesn't change from day to day. Because if you build your own self-worth, it does change from day to day. There's some days you feel great about yourself and there's some days you feel awful about yourself. But if you root your self-worth in who you are in Christ, it will give you a stability and a strength and a rootedness that you won't get any other way. And it's so attractive. And when you are rooted in that sense of who you are because of how God sees you, then it deals with insecurity in our lives. It really does. And you can stop thinking about yourself all the time. Um, there's a quote that says, it's not about thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. Get it? It's not about thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking about yourself less. Some people said, well, lots of modern day preachers have, you know, it's been that quote has been attributed to them. And then somebody says, no, it was C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. All the best quotes are from C.S. Lewis anyway. But it wasn't, it actually wasn't. It came out of what C.S. Lewis discusses in Mere Christianity. But I think it was Rick Warren who said it. And it's a really good point. Because if you're freed up to know that you have worth and value, you deal with the insecurity issues in your life, you don't, you stop being obsessed with yourself. And then it gives you the freedom to think about other people. Value others, Paul says. Esteem others above yourselves. In other words, count them as worthy of your help and encouragement. You know, for some of us, when we see tribes, you know, would you open up your home? Would you invite people around? Would you spend an evening together? And you go, oh, I can't be bothered. Like, honest to goodness, like having to sort that out and start the food out and having people around. I have enough people in my life, I just couldn't be bothered. And, um, you, you know, or you're, or you're extreme introvert, and oh, don't make me do that, don't make me mix with people I don't know. Um, but you see, the whole point about this is, Andy's absolutely right. This isn't a true picture of church. Like, church isn't coming in and staring at the back of somebody's head for an hour and 15 minutes. It's about community. And it's about taking somebody else's baby and nursing them even though you're the pastor. <laughs> and we only can express community when we get around the table with each other. And if you value others then over and above yourself, you know, it might 
wouldn't be the thing that you want to do most in the world. But you know something? It's saying, I'm opening my door to you. I value you. I esteem you. And I, and I want to walk with you so that together we can become better disciples of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying, not only is it about valuing others, it's just basically saying no to self-centeredness. It's not all about me. It is us together, working together, building a team together, looking out for each other. That's what makes healthy marriages. That's what makes healthy friendships. That's what builds healthy communities. And you know, if we're going to develop servant hearts, it's developed in people who've nothing to prove. You don't have anything to prove. And you know your value. And you don't have anything to lose. You're serving others not because you're looking for a place or a position or not because you're trying to hold on to a position that makes you feel good. You're doing it because you value the other person. How amazing that you would be a community here where people come through that door and they know that you value them, that you set a value on them. And I can tell you are already doing that. That's how I felt coming in this morning. And God wants to increase that amongst you. And finally, Paul says, look, if you're struggling with this, just look at Jesus. Look at him. Look what he did. Develop a Jesus mindset. Because he writes, Paul writes this magnificent passage in chapter 2 in praise of, of who the Lord was and how he came. And he was the son of God. And he was God, but he was fully man. And he didn't hang on to his rights. He laid down his rights. He even allowed himself to be crucified. You know, the most humiliating death that it was possible to die in those days, which actually the people that Paul was writing to, the Philippians were probably mostly Roman citizens, and they would have been exempt from that death. But Jesus, Jesus went to the cross for them. And he went to the cross for you and for me. That's what he did. He didn't hang on to the rights of his godhood, his deity. He laid down his life. And Paul is reminding them, you know, that God's power isn't always expressed in deliverance and exaltation. It is often expressed through humble service. Humble service and suffering. Jesus was the suffering servant. He showed us the way. And so Paul says, look at him. Just look at Jesus and have the same mindset as Jesus that we would be willing to humble ourselves and have a heart that says, I'm going to serve the people that God has planted me amongst. And then together we're going to flourish. And these fields that the Lord wants to give you are going to be planted and you're going to bring harvest after harvest after harvest so that your vision to impact more than this city, more than this valley, that your vision to impact this nation of ours and beyond will be fulfilled as you commit yourselves to developing a servant heart. So will you stand with me as the worship team join us? Because honestly, none of this is possible 
apart from the Holy Spirit. I can't, you know, deal with my pride. I can't deal with, you know, my, my, my insecurity issues. I can't have a heart that wants to serve others, only that he comes and he empowers me. And so if you feel comfortable, would you just reach out your hands? As we ask the Holy Spirit this morning to come and fill us afresh, to equip us, and that we would have that same mindset as Jesus to serve one another. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you have planted here through this team and this community. We thank you, Lord, how you have poured out your blessing upon them and that they are flourishing. But Lord, I bless you that you have so much more for them. And in all that you want them and the ground you want them to take, you want each person to realize that they have a part to play, that they can shape the culture of this church family. And so today, Lord, we say, I want to flourish where you've planted me. I want to give myself to you afresh. I want to be that person that has a heart to serve others and values others above myself. I want to use the gifts and the talents you've placed in me to serve your body, Lord. And Father, we just really thank you that there's so many more people out there who don't realize their worth and value. And Lord, we want to see them, their eyes opened, to know there's a God in heaven who loves them, who can heal their hurts, who can heal their broken bodies and their broken spirits. And Lord, that they will come amongst us and know they're valued and that they will flourish as you plant them alongside us. In Jesus' name, amen.